This is The Guardian. Faker others and welcome to the Guardian Women's Football Weekly. Well, the final day of the WSL season went as we expected. Chelsea are champions for the fourth consecutive season and after eight years, Reading's tenure came to an end. Leicester did their job beating Brighton and Arsenal secured Champions League football despite defeat to Villa. We'll wrap up the final day of the Women's Super League, look back on a cracking season, look ahead to the future, take your questions and that's today's Guardian Women's Football Weekly. Susie Rack, uh, I'm just going to pass you an award for your brilliance this season. It's a little bit heavy, actually. Maybe you shouldn't take it. You know, a bit too heavy for you. Be careful. <laughs> I saw the I, I saw a picture of Marcus Rashford holding his two trophies. Right? Have you seen it? They are no. like the size of like small humans, and he's holding <laughs> both the Players' Player of the Year and the Sir Matt Busby one. And I wonder if he was asked whether it was too heavy and he should be handed it. I don't think he would have been. And I think if Alessia had been offered both of those trophies, she'd have quite easily held them as an athlete. But, you know, delicate we are women, aren't we? Very delicate. Robin Cowan, how delicate are you feeling after a very long season? Oh, pretty delicate, to be fair. I'm not sure if I could I could lift even one of those under eight sort of little <laughs> tiny ones at this point. But uh, pleased to see you, Faye. I was wondering if you were actually going to be able to join us if you come back off the roof. <laughs> no, no, I'm still residing on the roof. I don't think I'll come <laughs> down off the roof uh, for quite a while yet. My voice has recovered, which I'm very grateful for. I'm not entirely convinced that my head has yet. So let's see how today's <laughs> pod goes. Uh, Tracy Brown, a debut chair of Chelsea Pride. Lovely to have you. You must be buzzing after a fourth Chelsea victory. Slightly, ever so slightly. I mean, I think I, I put on Kelly's Twitter, I said, I'll come and collect the trophy and just take it to Reading if you like. Um, <laughs> to be honest, so um, yeah, it sort of went how you wanted it to, but you, you never quite knew because obviously when the team's fighting for their lives, anything could happen in football. But yes, buzzing for the double, obviously. Absolutely. And you mentioned Kelly there. It's the one and only director of the women's professional game at the FA, Kelly Simmons. Not for long, though, Kelly. You're leaving in the summer. What are you going to be up to? 30 years you've driven the women's game in this country. That is quite an amazing feat. How are you feeling? Well, Faye, you're making me sound old for starter. A <laughs> uh, good uh Good to get the season over and um, yeah, looking forward to a little bit of a break. Uh, I'm still at the FA for a little while yet, so supporting the transition um, in terms of the new team and the leagues getting ready to go out the uh, the door and, and be a new company in their own right uh, and supporting uh, from our side on the Karen Carney Review. So yeah, quite busy for a little bit yet, so... Feet aren't quite going up on the desk, but uh, a break down the line. That doesn't surprise me in the slightest. And we're literally going to bombard you with questions at the end of the pod and find out what uh, what's going on. And also, by the way, Kelly's family are Hatters fans. So how are they all feeling after Wembley? Uh, they're delirious. Absolutely uh, hysterical. Um, yes, they were all there. They had an incredible time. Um, they messaged to tell me they were all crying. Uh, and I thought of you, Faye, as well. So I just thought, I can't imagine, I can't imagine what you were going through when they were, when it was a shootout. 
what drama what drama i felt sick and my (laughs) mum actually videoed i've got no aftermath videos photos nothing because it was just like oh my god what just happened and my mum sent me a video and i'm just sobbing and all you can hear is me in the background going oh my god oh Oh. Oh. <laughs> just like, wow amazing by the way for anybody who's been under a rock or doesn't care about men's football Luton Town are Premier League and it is the best rags to riches story you're ever going to hear in your life and I'm a massive Hatters fan as you probably know having listened to the pod over the past season and it was just the most incredible weekend but it was also an incredible weekend if you were a Chelsea fan uh, it was about what we expected from them in the end wasn't it a routine win to end a spectacular season with a record points tally two goals from Sam Kerr one from Guru Wrighton means that Chelsea were crowned champions and unfortunately Reading were relegated Uh, Susie why does everybody seem so unimpressed by this feat (laughs) Uh, unimpressed is the wrong words because I I think it's actually incredibly impressive because they've done it despite so many like asterisks to the season in terms of like injuries to key players, you know, Penilla Harder, Frank Kirby out for much of the season, Millie Bright for the end of the season, throw in Emma Hayes being out for five weeks after an emergency hysterectomy, which as we reached the end of the season, the last few games, I was sort of thinking, this is this has been forgotten. <laughs> um, like people have just forgotten that that happened. Like that's how easy they weathered that storm and then they also haven't been playing the most amazing football in every single game because of the like ruptures to the team and stuff but the thing that impresses me the most is like it was almost deliberate in that Emma Hayes rotated her squad really early on in the season quite a lot and sort of went with a little bit of disruption and allowed that to happen and allowed that momentum to shift so that come May they're scoring more than 20 goals, more than 30 to 40% of their goals in the one month because they've got the players that can come in and step up and and make a difference um, who have had minutes across the course of the season. I mean, also, why I have campaigned hard all week for it to be called Luton Weekly and you've, you've <laughs> let me down. <laughs> oh, no, I've let myself down, to be honest. I told you my head wasn't in the game, didn't I? Completely. Uh, I don't want to take the gloss off of... Chelsea and Tracy, who's obviously had her own form of delirium uh, this weekend. I mean, it was the fourth consecutive WSL title, Tracy, but where does it rank? I think it's up there. I think Sam, in an interview at the end of the game, was like, you know, it's my fourth, it's someone else's first, so it's just as important. I agree completely. And it does feel like it was hard this year because we have had big injuries and you know losing Millie right at the end of the season we all know how good Millie is and sort of nothing really being said about her injury which is very Emma Hayes you never get any information also it's been so close you know going down to the last day the only thing I hated about the weekend and there is something I hated I hated that the fact that while we were sat that we watched Reading go down that was actually painful you know you're looking at a manager who has been phenomenal 20 years in football and we happen to be the person who sends her down. Kelly, it's interesting what, what, what Tracy said there. And by the way, Tracy, you need to give the fans some credit as well because, you know, you guys, Emma Hayes always nods to, to, to how loud you are and how supportive you are throughout the season. So give yourselves a pat on the back as well. Uh, this feels like an appreciation pod, doesn't it? Let's appreciate <laughs> Kelly Simmons as well. I just want to ask a strange question, Kelly, and don't take it the wrong way, but oh. um, and it might be difficult to answer, but... 
because it's Chelsea's fourth title in a row, it has been more competitive this season, obviously. But does it mean that the WSL has lost a little bit of its shine because it's the same team winning year in, year out? I think if you're neutral and you're sort of looking at the development of the league, you obviously want well, all of the major trophies to go to different clubs because that's all part of it being really competitive uh, and compelling. But I think, you know, it was a really close title race and four teams were battling neck and neck at the top. And I think what was interesting about this season is, um, and there's people who are much better at, at stats on here than me, but I, I think Chelsea got record points and record wins. So they had to step up and find one more gear, which I think, you know, is absolutely incredible. So it was really, really tough. And I think with Manchester United breaking into that top three. Um, so there was a sort of a, a top four pushing all the way. I think it made the Champions League battle as fascinating, really, in some ways, as the title. Yeah, but congratulations to Emma. I mean, what what a track record. It's absolutely incredible. And people will look back in history on this and think, wow, absolutely phenomenal. What an incredible uh, achievement for Emma, Emma and the team. Yeah, it really is. And I 100% agree with you. I was just playing devil's advocate. That's my job. <laughs> Robin, how, how exactly did Chelsea win it? Susie alluded to, to the rotation that she made at the, at the beginning of the season. But what else was, was different this year that maybe we've not seen from her teams before? I, don't, I think it was all very similar because, you know, it's like they, they lost the Conta Cup final again. And it seems like they just don't get going until the latter stages. And then they're just unstoppable. And this just happens every single season. And I'm going to hold my hands up, actually. I don't think I've given Chelsea enough credit because obviously as a kind of broadcast, you're trying, I'm desperate for it to be as exciting as possible. But when you actually take a step back, it's so impressive what they've done. They've got the infrastructure. That's the difference. Just little things like, you know, when they were having this relentless run of games and, you know, they won the FA Cup final. She mentioned they have a sleep expert's. She mentioned that when Melanie Leopold's was coming back and when she was pregnant, they got a pelvic floor specialist, stuff like that. That's why Chelsea keep winning and that's why they deserve to win. We can contrast that, of course, with Reading. Kelly Chambers, eight months pregnant, but she can't delegate because she there is no one to delegate to. And that's the thing that, you know, it, re- it was so stark for me at the weekend. Just on a separate yeah. note, Tracy, you must be so proud of, you know, the content that Emma Hayes provides as well, you know, after after <laughs> wins and things. Because I, I was listening to Johnny Vaughan actually on Radio X and he, just, he has no interest in women's football at all. But he was mentioning, you know, the quote about Emma Hayes saying you'll find her on a park bench with gin and he was just saying it's the most cockley thing he's ever heard and and I just think it's you know she permeates the kind (laughs) she has that cut through which I think is you know fantastic it was absolutely brilliant to see all that as well I was ready to go up to North London go and buy a bottle of gin and sit there and message her and go you know what I'm waiting for you where are you (laughs) you know because there's nothing that surprises me anymore when it comes to I mean it's a joy actually everyone sort of waits now what's Emma going to say so because none of us actually know and I think to be quite honest I love the fact that when she does speak she speaks so openly so passionately you know I know plenty of people who don't follow women's football who absolutely love Emma Hayes which is why you constantly hear she should be running a men's team you mm-hmm. you constantly hear that because of how you know incredible she is and what she has managed to do within the game I'm mean, the pictures after as well of Emma having a good time with the players I mean um 
yeah, it looked like it was a definitely good after party. But it's great that, you know, the league's getting tougher. I think it makes more people turn to the game and go, OK, this is more interesting to even watch now because, you know, it's not just one team running away with it. Yes, we've won it four years in a row, which is great. But I mean, I'll say right now on this, right at the end of the season, if I could win the Champions League next year, someone else can have the league. I don't mind. So... <laughs> Tracy, one of the most emotional moments of the day was when Penilla Harder and Magda Eriksson came off the pitch. We obviously saw them say goodbye to King's Meadow last week. But how was it actually seeing them walk off in a Chelsea shirt for the last time? And um, Arthur Sastra has tweeted in, he wants to know, uh, will their loss end Chelsea's WSL dominance? Oh, that's a, that's a big question. From a Chelsea pride point of view and everything we stand for as a group and everything I've done for the last seven years with the club, Losing two people who are not just phenomenal on the pitch, but off the pitch is huge. So, you know, you're losing that aspect of two phenomenal people. And I know for a fact, no matter where they go, and there's rumours all over the place, they will continue that phenomenal work for equality. That's just part of their game and who they are. Yes, we missed Peniel for quite a good chunk of the season because of injury. So we've, we've proved that, you know, we can still sort of muddle along um, without a... Uh, Magda's leadership skills, though, I think are going to be, you know, very hard to replace. Emma's been very vocal, reckoning that, you know, Magda could come back as a future manager uh, at Chelsea Football Club. She has immense skills. So, you know, new signings come in and you rebuild. Um, You know, we've got a good, strong team, but they are going to be two people that are going to really be heavily missed at Kings Meadow for sure. Yeah, they really will. And I I really need to... Focus on on Reading. You've all mentioned them at least once in, in the in the conversation, but I want to read you an email that we've had. Um, Bronwyn sent an email to Women's Football Weekly at theguardian.com. I'm gonna I'm gonna try and summarise it, but actually the whole thing is just beautiful. So bear with me. Reading FC have been my team since I was a child, and the pride I felt at them competing at the top level for so many years is immense. Reading, I know, are not a big club at the national level, but they were a constant presence at tournaments and training camps through my youth as a young girl with a love for this sport. But to see them excel where other clubs have not at the highest level has filled me with so much joy I cannot describe. I think it's easy to think of Reading as a lower tier club, and it's easy to forget that from 2017 to 2020 we finished fourth or fifth in the WSL and we're in the semi-finals of the FA Cup in 2019 this from a club whose men's team were in the second tier the whole time that the women's were in the WSL we're a club who fought with grit and resilience against all odds don't get me wrong I think the growing amounts of money in the WSL are a good thing but I knew it was a matter of time before Reading would no longer be able to keep up from the moment that Manchester United were promoted to the WSL I knew the game had changed but I didn't expect us to go down this soon and I am absolutely devastated. She wants to know, Kelly, it's quite quite interesting, actually. She says if she was to reflect on, a, on their time in the WSL and hopes for its future, she hopes that in years to come, the league will even out and become less top heavy. Is that what the kind of plan is? How, how do you even go about making that happen? Well, I think, first of all, people forget that it's only been fully professional since 2018. And some of the clubs that are in the, in the WSL have only been non non amateur for what five six years or or didn't exist you know so Ma- manchester united relatively new albeit that there was a history there before tottenham hotspur were an amateur team run by volunteers what six years ago seven years ago so it takes time for clubs to come in build that elite performance environment and and get the right 
facilities and build the talent pathway in terms of bringing younger players through. You know, that that, that takes time. So I think we'll see, and you've seen, you know, the, the work that Carla's doing at Villa, helping to sort of close the gap and get, get sort of closer to that pack and, and, and therefore able to, to cause upset. So I think it would take time. Longer term, if you absolutely wanted to close the gap, you'd try and find some way of, well, you could either raise the bar of what everybody has to invest or you sort of cap at the top. But if you cap at the top, then you're restricting clubs from being able to compete in Champions League. So that's really tricky. So I think it's really, it's about working with and supporting those clubs on on their development journey. Um, and then I guess, you know, one of the challenges for the, you know, new co when it, when it becomes a, a company outside of the FA, you know, the challenge for, for the new new leadership there will be just to think about whether they sort of force that, that raised bar or not. But, um, you know, there are knock-on implications of that. I just wanted to ask you, Kelly, like, I know, mm. um, what's the vibe amongst clubs, I guess, in that respect, in that, like, you know, obviously we're so used to sort of the individual greed of clubs in the men's game, sort of not almost allowing for fair distribution down the leagues and you know a sort of holistic approach to the growth of football are the clubs you know because a lot of it is the same clubs do they feel the same way about women's football or is it it like is it is it similar vibes is it us and us only or is there because of the nature of the game and how early it is in its development a bit of a more holistic approach to it from even the top clubs yeah no much much more of the latter there's definitely a view that we're all in this together and we've got to build this together. And it's it's in its relatively early stages of development and a competitive, compelling league, you know, is a really fundamental part of that. Bronwyn mentioned in her email there, Robin, about how successful they've been in the past and how long they've been in the league. How much of a miss are they going to be? Well, this is a tricky one because it's a bit like Birmingham. You kind of think if you're not going to back your women's team, you, you shouldn't be in the top tier now that that sounds harsh and, and I feel for the players and I don't they don't deserve that but that's basically what's happened I mean they've suffered because the men been under an embargo so they basically had no budget I've also you know just watching Kelly Chambers post-match was heartbreaking for me she's clearly struggling with it all and it's it's her it's her club but she's not been supported at all and I also heard that the sporting director is on holiday at the moment, so none of the players know their futures. And it's just Amazing. stuff like, yeah, it's just stuff like that that makes me just feel like, well, you, you don't care. So it, it just it makes me really angry. So, um, and I hope for her, we I know we'll mention that, you know, there are vacancies, aren't there? And she, she mm-hmm. should do a good job, but we should also remember she's about to have a second child. So I just, I hope she in some capacity, get some support that she clearly needs. For me, I'd, I'd try and have some proper maternity leave because I don't believe she had it, really, in the, on the first time I think she had two around. weeks last time. That's insane. Yeah. I know. <laughs> I don't want to lose Kelly Chambers from the WSL, so I hope she gets offered another job that she wants, that is the right project for her, where she's properly supported. I think that's really, really important. Um, but we know her affinity for for Reading and how much she loves that club, don't we? Just a quick one, Tracy. Do you think there's a world where we see Reading make it back up? I know that's a difficult question to answer, bearing in mind their financial situation at the moment. I don't know. The answer is I really don't know. I'd like to see them back, but I think that they're, they're a long way off. I think, you know, if they're 
for their men's team also being relegated, there's a lot going on behind the scenes at Reading. It'll be interesting to see how the future of the club is as a whole continues to be with the men's to begin with. So, I mean, as if that continues to fail, then the knock-on effect is you're just not going to have a Reading women's team. And that's, uh, that's really sad to see, to be fair. Obviously, I can see the budgets uh, uh, and, the, and the salary bills each year and the job that Kelly Chambers has done at Reading for many years is absolutely phenomenal. And, and after we presented the medals to Chelsea, uh, I walked straight over to give her a big hug because what she's done is is just incredible. And, you know, I, I wish her and Reading all the very, very best and, and, and hope, you know, that they can, are given the chance to, to rebuild um, yeah, and come back. But, um, you know, we talked about how phenomenal Emma is and I think, um, you know, very, very different circumstances, but, you know, what a job Kelly's done. And I know Emma and Kelly are really close and it was so lovely that um, before the game, Emma, Emma Hayes presented Kelly uh, with flowers and, um, you know, there was gifts to recognise, you know, an incredible service that she's given to the game. Yeah, 20 years at the same club. That's pretty impressive. By the way, there's nothing more annoying as a pregnant woman than being told how that you should rest. And <laughs> so I just, if you're listening, Kelly, I'm very, very sorry for that because that is incredibly annoying and it feels a little bit like the man telling Alessia Russo not to pick up the heavy award. <laughs> so apologies for that. That's it for part one. In part two, we'll wrap up the rest of the WSL final day. Welcome back to part two of the Guardian Women's Football Weekly. So elsewhere in the WSL, everything else pretty much decided already. But Arsenal did confirm their Champions League spot despite losing 2-0 to Aston Villa. Rachel Daly picked up the golden boot. It was a lacklustre performance really from Arsenal, Susie. Sorry about that. <laughs> Happy to already pretty much be on the beach, I suppose. But when Manchester City went 3-0 up against Everton, did you start to worry a little bit? Oh, I was bricking it. And I had Molly Hudson from the time sat next to me just going, oh, well, there's no way they'll turn over a nine goal difference. Oh, oh there's no way they'll turn over an eight goal difference. Oh, there's no way they'll turn over a seven goal. Oh, don't worry. And I was like, shut up. Just stop talking. Just stop talking. Um, I, yeah, I, Arsenal limped towards the end of the season, right? I think I think it's just one game too many. Well, they looked pretty broken. Um, you know, there's so many... So many injuries, so many players out. I think Stina Blacksenius has announced that she's broken her hand in that game as well. <laughs> Basically, probably be in a cast or something for the World Cup. But I was worried. I was very worried. And I've been saying all week <laughs> that um, goal difference can change very quickly, as we saw um, Chelsea overturned a really, really massive margin on Man United within two games or something. So, I, I, well, yeah, I was panicked. And then when... Everton started getting goals. The relief just started flooding over over me. <laughs> Obviously, you want Champions League football from a from a sporting point of view, from have it like being able to recruit players, keeping players, all that kind of thing. But I really wanted Arsenal to get it from a momentum point of view in terms of all the off the pitch stuff, in terms of like the crowd building, that kind of thing. Obviously, they were upping the number of games at the Emirates in the league from three to five, which is great. But they also had all of the Champions League groups games. Oh, 
all of the Champions League games will stop at the Emirates Stadium and build real momentum there. So you would really be seeing a massive drop in games. Obviously, they've got to get through qualifying, so there's no guarantee that they still have that. But at least there's a shot at it because I re- like it's been so impressive and the development of the home and away crowds, the atmosphere at the ground has just been phenomenal. Like in Wolfsburg, going to the fan bar, we were like just coincidentally we were in the we all the journalists have gone to the bar next door it was like absolutely rammed hundreds of fans in this in this bar next door to us all singing and chanting in the bar nowhere near the stadium and it was like being on a men's away trip you know you had a real like vocal vibrant affinity to to the team that I've not really seen on that scale in any other team in women's football and with that yeah, I don't know. Something's changed. That was my main motivation for wanting Champions League football was more for the like wider conversation of what they've done on attendances this year because it's been so, so, so good. Yeah, Kelly, you're nodding along there. I mean, I know that, that there's been a request for a commitment from clubs to, to play at the, the main stadium a bit more. Are you seeing that there's more appetite for that now? Yeah, definitely. Um, we've seen, you know, our attendances have been up this season over 170%. A lot of that is driven by the clubs putting more games uh, in the main stadiums. But I think Arsenal, without doubt for me, you know, have been one of the leaders in this. And I think the fact that they picked those games early, they decided what are those big games that are going to really sell and picked them early and marketed them. And um, Juliet Slot, who's a commercial director at Arsenal, has done a phenomenal job. Actually, I want to ask Tracy this question because as a fan, it must be really difficult. You know that tickets have to go at a reasonable price in order to grow the game and to make sure that that you know the attendances are attendances and not no shows um if you if you market them too cheap but there's obviously a balance to be to be had in in a cost of living crisis and nobody wants to see the kind of ticket prices we see in the premier league but equally do you think there's there's an understanding in the fan base that ticket prices have to have to rise a little bit yeah i think there is an understanding now I think everyone realises that if you want to see the game grow, you can't be charging people pittance to walk into a football stadium. Yes, and no one wants to see the prices of obviously, you know, Premier League football. But you, I think even with like season ticket prices at some clubs are just ridiculous. And of course, if you're paying so minimum and then the game's on television, that's all right, I can watch it on TV. I don't need to go and there's where your no-shows are. And what we do want to see, and yes, it pains me to say Arsenal have done it very, very well, you do want to see bums in seats. At the end of the day, we want to see full stadiums. There obviously is a growth and a push for for more football within men's stadiums. I agree, it has to be marketed really well. And that does help actually grow the women's game anyway, because you get more people come over to watch the women's game when it is played in the big stadiums. So there's a lot of work that can still be done, but pricing in general... Yeah, there's obviously you can't go too high because obviously then you'll stop stopping people from coming. But yeah, prices do need to rise. You know, I don't mind seeing the prices go up because the quality of the football is getting better and better and better anyway. We're, we're watching quality games every week. You mentioned Aston Villa. They've been phenomenal this season. I mean, Rachel Daly has been absolutely incredible. Um, and you look, there is more teams that are starting to get better. And you obviously, yes, we want to see the game grow. So prices will have to go up. Um, with that and I, I welcome it if it means that you know it really helps grow the game it's, it's funny you've mentioned Rachel Daly that was going to be my next question to, to Robin actually because she has been absolutely incredible this season equaled Viviana Miedemar's record for a number of goals in a single season I think it was 22 in the end wasn't it 30 in the whole you know uh, that was in the league 22 30 overall 
But how impressive is what she's done with Aston Villa? And I know you're going to be commentating on on the World Cup. <laughs> what well, does Serena if, if Gianni Infantino lets us, that's the. Well, yes, that's. Sorry, I, I yeah. should have put that caveat in there. <laughs> that's a whole nother pod, believe me. Um, but let's let's focus on Rachel Daly first and foremost because she she just has been immense, hasn't she? She has, but and and you know her finishing's been been brilliant. She's such an athlete, isn't she? She's just uh, that ice cool composure in the box. But, you know, Villa have now just built a really good team, um, especially starting 11. Maybe the next step is to add a little bit more depth because, you know, you had Kirsty Hansen was racking up the assists, Kenza Dali, you know, Alicia Lehman, I'm probably missing others, but they all just seem to be, uh, Carla Ward has got them, you know, such a well-oiled machine and they just seem to be playing to Rachel Daly's strengths. So, yes, she's going to get, I mean, it's it's incredible because we were, we've been waxing lyrical about, Miedemar and her goal scoring um, and this is just what an achievement to to match that absolutely incredible but yeah I mean also it just kind of again muddies the waters in terms of England like what what do we do because <laughs> she's been too good <laughs> you know I, I don't know what we well I do know what I would tell Serena uh, whether she'll listen or not I don't know but we, 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 we've said we've said on a on a few occasions haven't we I mean Rachel Daly has to has to go she she's obviously going to go to the World Cup but she has to play up front and then you know Again, we're going to discuss this next week because Serena Wiegmann announces her provisional Women's World Cup squad on Wednesday. So we will discuss who's in, who's out, etc. next week as we discuss the Champions League as well. Let's focus on on Everton. Uh, Tracy, they announced the retirement of Izzy Christensen prior to the match against Manchester City. Finished 3-2 in the end. Sum up her contribution to the WSL. Just incredible. I mean, you're looking at the sort of players who are now retiring from the game and we're losing some phenomenal people. You know, some people just don't have words for You just look at, you know, where they've come from, the amount of work they've put in. And a lot of people haven't been following the WSL for that long. And you think, you know, you've missed, you know, a good chunk of how great some players can be. Um, I always hate seeing big players hang boots up. But it's part of the game, unfortunately. But she has been phenomenal. I think we can all thank her for everything she's given to us. It makes yeah. me feel so old. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you out a bit, but yeah, thank you. Wait, wait till you're my age, Susan. <laughs> I, I think um, I, I think Izzy's had a phenomenal career and her contribution is absolutely fantastic. And I'm really excited to see what happens next because I think she's absolutely brilliant in the media. I think she's a great pundit and I think she's got a really uh, great next career, next phase of career ahead of her. So really looking forward to seeing how that goes. That's what I actually love about a lot of these players leaving. We saw Karen Bardsley, obviously Jill Scott, you know, many others, the kind of older, older players. Uh, Kate Longhurst will discuss in in a second, but they're all kind of establishing themselves in in new careers uh, now, which is really exciting to see because they've got a lot to bring to the game. We had another managerial sacking within 24 hours of West Ham playing their last game of the season. The club announced that Paul Koncheski was departing. He finished his time with a two-all draw with Tottenham. It wasn't actually a huge surprise, was it, Susie? We mentioned it for the last few weeks leading into it. 
Yeah, I mean, it sort of had to happen, didn't it? I mean, I spoke to him after the Chelsea game and he looked like a dead man walking to a certain extent. I I felt really sorry for him. I didn't even ask him the question about his future because I felt like I'd be kicking a puppy. The end of the season that they've had, the run of games without a win, you, you just you can't stay in a job with that level of performance. They were saved by the start of the season performance. I saw quite a lot of people kind of being very vocal about Perhaps he should have gone sooner, allowing that run to continue to the length it did. Maybe not the best idea, but in some respects, because they were sort of safe, I actually think it's maybe the, maybe the smart thing to do because there's not the managers available towards the end of a season aren't that many. So getting to the end when you know you're safe and then having a little bit more of a, I was going to say a pick of the bunch, but there's, there's not a huge bunch anyway. But, you know, like having people like Kelly Chambers and stuff as options that weren't options before, maybe, I think is actually the smart thing to do. So who they bring in and what, like, what kind of level of support the team is given, because I think that's like stagnated a bit after their FA Cup final run. That's the big question, isn't it? Like, like do they do they up their game and go a bit Everton or do they become a bit of a Reading, a team that is almost like investing for the because they have to rather than because they they want to I think um you know they were the only team weren't they to not play at the men's stadium and you know I think I don't want it to be a token gesture obviously it was highlighted by Lucy Parker on Twitter just because you play in the men's stadium doesn't mean you're being backed but it is sort of a little bit symbolic maybe mm. so yes I, I I agree with Susie like it'd be really interesting to see who they get in and what what sort of backing they do have I, I also understand that he stepped away rather than was sacked so I shouldn't have used the word sacked but from what I understand he actually he actually stepped back sticking with West Ham Robin Kate Longhurst announcing that she was going to be moving on from the club she made a few barbed comments I think in her statement the week before about how things were going behind the scenes but maybe a bit more of a surprise than than Paul Koncheski leaving and also uh, another fantastic servant to the game yeah, absolutely. Another sort of WSL sort of legend She's been there since the start. And um, yeah, no, it's an interesting one. Obviously, it's her club, isn't it? She's a massive West Ham supporter. It seemed like it was a bit sort of controversial that when things were starting to go wrong, she wasn't being used as much. And I just wonder if sort of relationships broke down there. But, you know, a great player, such a versatile player. And yeah, she will definitely be an asset to wherever she she goes next. A player who can play a number of positions is always a huge asset. But yeah, it's just a, it's always a shame, perhaps when you know you leave a club that you love in in those sorts of sort of circumstances. But another one again, who's a really good talker in the media. Yeah, a lot of avenues. Oh, we're going to have too much competition. <laughs> I was going to say, we're, we're not going to have jobs very soon, no. are we? <laughs> it's going that way. Uh, drive them out. Yeah. Drive them out of our industry. <laughs> uh, Tracy, we knew that Tottenham were already safe before this match, but there were another two goals for Bethany England in this game. The England squad, as I mentioned, announced by Serena Wiegmann on Wednesday. Uh, this is over to you now because we have spoken about this all well since January consistently is she going to make it on the plane (laughs) I love Beth who doesn't Rachel Daly could be stopping her from getting on a plane that's the issue 
I would take her, but maybe I'm being slightly biased. So, you know, I didn't even want her to leave Chelsea. So, you know, um, she's one of can I Can I interrupt you? You're definitely not, you're, you're definitely not being biased because I think we all think it. And I actually think the defensive situation that Serena Wiegmann finds herself in is, gon- is going to help Beth England's cause because Rachel Daly may be needed yeah. um, at, at, at left back. It's tough. I wouldn't want to have to be picking the squad to go to the World Cup, that's for sure. Well, you missed out on the England job by such a short, short thing, Tracy. So, <laughs> <laughs> Just where would Tottenham be, though, where if they hadn't signed her? Um, mm. I've just had, a, I, I'm, I'm don't trust my maths, but I've just had a look and I think her goals have won six points for Tottenham. So yeah. they would have been you know, and there pretty... was other games where you know she she'd scored and everything, and they and they, and they lost, and they'd lost. Mm. Um, and if you think if they wasn't doing that, if they could obviously you know next season really focus on you know sorting out defence and just you know the infrastructure around the club and Spurs, I think will only get better. I think you know having her at the front of the lineup and scoring the way she is, I think they will only thrive. I think I saw Proud Lily Whites have given her their award, her own award. Yeah. I think she's contributed to the team in a very short amount of time, to be fair. But yeah, Beth for England. Beth for England, brilliant. There was also a 1-0 win for Leicester over Brighton to ensure that they finished 10th. And I spoke to Willie Kirk yesterday and, you know, he said he was really pleased that it was, you know, in their hands and they still won the game as opposed to losing and it being, Reading being beaten by Chelsea as as the reason. Ava Baker, fresh from the under-17s Euros uh, with the only goal of that game. Uh, Kelly, we've mentioned so many managers in the pod so far, but Willie Kirk has done a fantastic job since replacing Lydia Bedford at the beginning of, of November. Where does he rank in your manager of the season list? Really highly. Yeah, I mean, I think a lot of people would have had Leicester down, wouldn't they? Sort of Christmas time. and so the, We the did, and we is... get all of our predictions wrong on this pod, so we knew that they were <laughs> um, going to survive. Hello, Faye. Hello. I think I said I'm backing Willie Kirk for the biggest comeback in the history of WSL. Oh, so there you go, Susie. That's impressive. first ever first ever accurate prediction should not be brushed over <laughs> I'm going to have to go back and listen to that <laughs> they, they had no points until mm, January yeah. none no. So there's two key changes really at Leicester obviously Willie moving over to manage the team but they also brought in a director of football Lisa Pierce and between the two of them they have overseen a fundamental sort of shift and, and turnaround on the pitch and a lot a lot of hard work going on in terms of recruitment and building, you know, the positive culture and um, performance environments. I think they both deserve praise. So I think you know, there's one well-known uh, change uh, in the club, but Lisa has also done a phenomenal job behind the scenes there. That's a really good point. I don't think we've actually mentioned that at all on the pod. So yeah, kudos for, for sure. Manchester United, a 1-0 victory over Liverpool. Lucia Garcia on the score sheet yet again. Obviously not enough with Chelsea winning as well. Uh, where do Manchester United go from here, Robin? Pip to the post for both the FA Cup and the league. I think they, they can be very proud of their season. Obviously it's very frustrating to get very close on both counts and not not get a trophy. Champions League next season, they're going to have to have a bigger squad, much bigger. They made the fewest changes between starting 11s this season, which is obviously, you know, possibly why they were successful. Interestingly, Chelsea made the most and they came to... I mean, it's just they're going to have to learn how to do that sort of Chelsea rotation thing because because uh, of the Champions League commitments. And also the tough thing is you can't let the league slip because you want to get 
you know, keep finishing higher and higher. You know, the Manchester United, I think the fact that they've only been in existence since, since 2018, they've had a rapid rise, but there is pressure because of the name. So I think, you know, Mark Skinner obviously calling for them to be a bit to be given a bit more credit. I, th- I think we've given him plenty of, of credit on this on this mm. pod throughout the season. I, th- I still don't think it's been announced who the Barclays manager of the season has been, but I know that Mark Skinner was definitely up there along with, with, with Carla Ward as well. But just a quick one, Tracy. You've obviously seen Chelsea go up against so many different teams in the race for the WSL title. How have United compared, do you think, across the season when you've obviously been fighting Manchester City or Arsenal for it? I think this year they have been phenomenal. Again, difficult to pick up another club. I mean, you look at the games we've played against them in the past to this season, how close the games were this season. You can see, you know, the quality of their their game go up. I do think there's a big point there of very good to get into Europe, but there's where you see the pressure really build because you have a squad you're not used to having to do, you know, fly into other countries, rotation, it can put it's a massive big strain on the club and now that's the big learning curve they will have. Will that impact the league? Possibly if they don't, you know, grow the squad size. It's hard to balance everything. So, you know, I think there's a massive learning curve that's gonna go on at Man United. And yes, because of the name, everyone just presumes they're going to do that because it's Man United. But they've they've maybe done a bit better than maybe some people thought they would, but they, you know, they they earned second uh, in the league. You know, it was a tight FA Cup. If they didn't have Champions League football, I reckon they'd be pushing again very, very hard. But I think it will it will be a testament to now to how well they can build uh, in the summer before the season restarts and how how well they take that pressure. Right, I'm about to jump off to do Luton Corner on Guardian Football Weekly. But here on the Guardian Women's Football Weekly, we're going to do Kelly Corner. So dive in with your questions to Kelly Sounds Simmons. scary. I know. I know. Well, Robin was bombarding you before we even started started <laughs> the pod. So I'm, I'm going to hand over to Robin for an opener. Kelly, um, what a fantastic job you've done. You must be really, really proud. Um, I, I'm just interested in, in, obviously, it's difficult to look into the future, but from someone who's been there since the start, a lot of the sort of OGs of women's football are quite protective of it, which I understand. And, you know, there's there's some fear that it's going to go the sort of, ultimate aim is for it to become like the Premier League, like the men's game. And obviously aspects of that, yes, others no. How difficult do you think it's going to be to kind of balance that sort of the connection we all still have with the women's game while also, you know, because we do want more investment and stuff like that. Mm. That's the thing in my head. I'm really, because I, I wouldn't want that job to do that. But I think it, <laughs> and that, that's, that's really difficult to do, I feel. Do you think yeah. that's possible? It's a great question. I think that the women's game's got an incredible culture and the game feels inclusive and the atmosphere Mm. is wonderful and the players, you know, have that sort of... They know that they're utilising their platform for a a bigger purpose of promotion of the women's game, female empowerment. I think all of that can remain um, and should, must remain to make Mm. the women's game unique and special while still driving revenue growth so that the women's game... It is protected down the line because it can wash its own face and it's not at the whim uh, of club owners who may or may not decide to invest or may get relegated and so cut their investment to the women's team. So it's got to grow revenue to to become sustainable and protect itself. But I still think it can and keep all of those wonderful things about it. I was actually just wondering, Kelly, whether you... <laughs> 
this is a weird one, happy or sad about it sort of flying the nest, right? Because is is this the right time for it to do it? I mean, like, obviously, we've talked about it for a while. I think, you know, it, it probably is. But the FA has put a lot of work into building the league. Is it actually ready to fly the nest and go solo? I think it is ready. I think it's a really exciting stage of its development. And I think it's ready that the league now comes out of the FA, which doesn't run other other leagues. It has uh, its independence and it's it's just solely laser focused. This is why in, in the Future Ownership Review, I was advocating an independent company. It's because I think that it, a company, the directors, the board can just make absolutely laser focused decisions on what is best for the women's professional game. You know, if it was embedded uh, within another men's league or when it's embedded in the FA, sometimes you can get those sort of natural conflicts around, you know, what what is the, the best thing to do when there's other competing demands. So um, I think it's a really exciting stage uh, in terms of it coming out next summer and being club-owned. And, and the, the fact that the 24 clubs in the Super League and the Championship will own that, you know, that there's no better uh, or greater incentive for them to be invested in and, and helping drive that business forward because they're shareholders in it. So I think it's, it's a good time. I think it's the right time for it to come out. How much of a focus is there on um, the sort of independent clubs that exist within the pyramid as a whole? Obviously, you've got some really obvious ones like um, Lewis and London City and Durham, mm. you know, who don't have a big men's team attached. Obviously, that's a really difficult position to be in when you're going into a league that is driving for real like big investment from the top of the men's game into the women's in terms of like club investment which could really isolate them how much work is being done to ensure that their position is protected because like in many respects a lot of them do a better job at running sustainable clubs than the the clubs that just get a handout from their men's teams because it's it's a much more difficult thing to do and they have to balance books whereas you know the likes of Arsenal Chelsea Man United don't they they can have a massive deficit because they know that they're going to get a little in swing from their men's club mm. to to keep them alive yeah no I mean it's yeah it's it's, it's a, a tricky one I mean first of all We've got two of those independent clubs sit on our board. So those voices are absolutely being heard. And, and, and Maggie at Lewis and Lee at Durham do a really terrific job of, of reminding everybody that there's a real variety of women's clubs in those in those top two tiers. And I think they, as much as, uh, well, all of the clubs would be vested in, you know, how do we drive more revenue growth so that we all benefit? And that's really, really fundamental to them, probably more than some of those clubs who've got the support of the men's clubs. But I think it is tricky because we're all trying to, we all know that we need to invest ahead of maximising revenue growth. I think that's something that everybody agrees in and we all want the product to be of the highest quality and, and all the infrastructure around it. Uh, and the moment it's not, you know, you guys are rightly ringing me saying, oh, you haven't got this, or when's VAR coming in, or when have we got professional referees? And all of that, you know, requires money. So it is a tricky balance to think about how do we take, how do we grow revenue? How do we distribute it fairly down down the whole pyramid? And how do we protect and support those clubs as we're trying to move forward really, really quickly to uh, to grow the women's game? 
got so many more questions for you, Kelly, but I can hear producer Jack just being like, this is already the longest pod in the world. <laughs> so we will be bending your ear over the summer and I'm sure we'll have another chat soon and, and see how Karen Carney's review is going and all the wonderful work that you're going to continue uh, to be doing. But it's been an absolute pleasure having you on. Thank you. Thank you. It's been great to be on. Robin Cowan, always good to see you. We'll have a World Cup catch up soon. Yes, please. With soft play, maybe. Oh, great idea. Brilliant. For us. <laughs> oh, honestly, I found a great one that, that's for adults. I just kind of leave <sighs> Ted outside. <laughs> no, I don't Send do the that. deets. <laughs> uh, Tracy, what a debut. Absolutely brilliant. We'll have you on again soon, I'm sure. Brilliant. Fantastic. Lovely to be here. What a way to spend a morning. You know, perfect. Speak about the women's game. And of course... Having the double in your back pocket is also a bit handy as well. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Tell me about it. Yeah, and I'm sorry to try and steal all the limelight with uh, with Luton. It's all about <laughs> it's all about Chelsea, but it happens to you all the time. It's fine. Susie Rack, always wonderful to see you. I will catch up with you later on this week. Oh, I know, right? We're not we're not going to see each other for a while. Oh, Wednesday. You're going to be Wednesday. 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 Yeah. Wednesday. It's only Even a on day. Can, day. Yay. can you do without me for 24 hours? It's not even going to be that. Know. that's everything from us uh, this week we've got a Champions League final episode for you next week where we'll also analyse Serena Wiegmann's England squad and Adam Bateman I've not forgotten about your tweet from the other week we'll also hand out a few awards of who were the runners and riders from this season as we wrap up the WSL The Guardian Women's Football Weekly is produced by Jack Claremont and Jesse Parker Humphreys music composition was by Laura Iredale our executive producer is Sal Ahmad This is The Guardian.